Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Young and Dangerous Show. Now, today I will be talking a little bit more about、uh, investments. Once again, I had some feedback from the previous episodes from my friends who are more or less just starting out, don't have an idea, and want to, you know, explore a little bit more about the topic. And also, I think some of you guys got interested when I said that you can 10x your money. Uh, in every crisis, and、uh, I guess this is a little bit to answer that question as well. So,、uh, without further ado, I will be doing this in a monologue fashion.、Um, give this a try. I'm not sure how this goes.、Uh, you can always give me some feedback on,、uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram. And so, let's begin. Well, firstly, today is the fifteenth of August, twenty nineteen. is an interesting day to be talking about investments as well. I'm not sure if you guys saw the overnight news. I think U.S. Uh, U curve. Uh, there's an inversion, which you know, for those who do not、uh, know what that is, is basically, um, how do you say the spread between the interest rates of uh ten year and two year, it actually went negative, uh, which that means that uh. It it doesn't. Nobody actually really knows whether it's a causation or is it an effect. But more or less, the statistic goes like for the last twelve recessions, nine of them were preceded by a U curve inversion. And as you can see, the markets reacted、uh, very big.、Uh, Dow Jones down eight hundred points, three percent. Today, Nikkei opened up、uh, probably pretty much a percent down, something like that.、Um, but those are just.、Uh, The ebb and flows of the market. Today we're gonna talk a little bit more about what you can do to get started investing.、Uh, once again, I'm no investment professionals. All I am doing is trying to share with you what、uh, I have been doing for myself、uh, for the last ten years. Things that worked for me. Some of my thoughts and philosophies. So once again, as a disclaimer,、uh, I'm not a licensed、uh, financial advisor or anything. Everything I say now is just、uh, for entertainment purposes only. Right, so what is investing?、Uh, I think that's the biggest thing that you have to start to understand before you get into this game, right? Are you investing or are you speculating? Because there's a big difference between these two. I always think that investing, on one hand, is making money on the buying side, right? Like you make money when you buy, not when you sell.、Uh, I can't remember who I got this concept from. It's not not my original thinking, of course, but. I think that helped me a lot in trying to make these financial decisions. So what what do we mean by making money on the buy side?、Um, oh wait, before that, let's talk about what's the difference between speculation, right? Speculation is then making money when you sell. So when you buy something today for let's say ten dollars, you're hoping either sometime down the road, tomorrow, the day after, that it will raise its price to twenty dollars, and then you sell it for a profit. Whereas investing is that when you buy something at ten dollars, you know that this is excellent value and this thing is actually worth like fifteen dollars, but you're buying it for ten. I think that's like the distinction that I make in my head whether I'm investing or when I'm speculating, and I think there's a time and place for everything. So today we're going going to talk a little bit more about investing, and which means it talks, in my opinion at least, talks about how do you make money on the buying side. Right, so there's this saying. Once again, I can't remember who to attribute this to. Is that price is what you pay, value is what you get. Right, so as you can tell, I come from、um, 
the school of thought where uh, they call it value investing. Um, it's championed by the likes of Warren Buffett and his mentor, Benjamin Graham, and also my investing hero, Howard Marks. Um, these people have lots of works online, so you can quickly and easily search them up. But basically, it just means that you are looking at an item or product or, or, or company, looking at it as what is this worth like today. And when you find and have a concept of what this thing is worth, and then you try to pay a price that is below that, right? And so instantly you make money on the buy side. And of, obviously it's uh, easier said than done. But so let's talk about value in what it means in terms of value investing, right? So the easiest way that I always try to explain people to make it relatable to them is like, think of it as the coffee shop example, right? Or, or kopitiam in Singapore slang, right? Um, if, if someone comes up to you and say, hey, I got this coffee shop for sale, you know, uh, it runs a revenue of 1 million a year, which means that the sales revenue, like whatever money is coming in, is a million a year. A net margin is 10%, which means, it, it, you know, you minus the cost, you minus the rent, you minus utilities, whatever. You come up with a 100,000 profit a year. And he asks you, hey, how much are you willing to pay for this? Or he gives you a price. And then you got to think, okay, so if this, this coffee shop is doing 1 million in revenue and then making a 10% net margin, how much are you willing to pay for it? And that's how you start thinking about this concept of, value and price right so if and 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 there's a price to everything right and it's not exact science and there's a bit of art to it because there are risks involved right assuming whether the lease goes on or is it a short lease or do they actually own like the land but let, let's discount that for a moment uh, let's just assume that you don't have to worry about lease and operational risk meaning that the moment you buy this asset somebody else is going to run it, right? Even though that might not be true all the time, but let, let's just assume in this case. So how much are you willing to pay for this, right? 100,000, 200,000, a million, 5 million? You know, what's a reasonable number? And when you start thinking about it in that terms, it gives you a little bit of anchor to start to formulate in your own opinion, like what kind of price do you really pay, right? If you think about it, if you pay 100,000, Technically, in one year's time, it should earn back its money, right? Uh, there is still a risk of, uh, you know, the revenue dropping or, or, or whatever. But more or less, if this, this coffee shop has been around for a long time and you look at the financial and the last five years, it's been always making 100000 a year. You can assume that, you know, to a high probability that, okay, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take you one year to earn back the money. If he offers you 200000 then it's two years to earn back the money. One million... 10 years to earn back the money, something like this, right? 5 million, then, you know, 5 years or something. You start to think, how much should you be um, paying for this asset? And there's no hard and fast rule, right? Um, but you have to know, the higher the price you pay, the slower you earn back your principal, the slower you will see profit. So if you can pay really little for it, if, if you offer like 50,000 and a person say yes, don't hesitate, jump in, right? You kind of know. But if there's someone says that I won't sell it for anything less than 5 million, you kind of will have to think twice, right? So we know that the price range is somewhere in between, right? So 
the higher price you pay, the less profitable this this investment will be, right? And then now you start to see the relationship between price and value. So when you start thinking about it this ways, obviously, what actually drives price is sentiment, right? Like how much, uh, or rather how many buyers are there in the market and how many sellers. If there are a lot of people trying to sell this type of asset at the same kind of uh, 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 performance, then it would mean that in order to attract a buyer, they have to kind of lower their price. Whereas conversely, if there's a lot of buyers in the market compared to sellers, then the buyers will be bidding, trying to outbid each other by raising the price, which is in turn making the investment worse for themselves. So the actual number that it transacts is exactly how much it is so-called um, worth in terms of price at that point of time. So the important thing to know is that for any investment instrument, any asset class, any you know, thing that you buy off this thing called the market, it is different at different points of time. But value on the other hand might, might be a little bit more stable, not entirely, but it's usually more predictable than the price. And so what you're trying to do then, if you think about it this way, is that you're trying to find a period of time where the price is, is under the value. And that's how you get what we call a bargain. And these moments of time, these windows of, of opportunity comes and goes. It's not there all the time. And... They call this uh, uh, um, market cycles, right? Uh, sometimes the investors are too euphoric. They bid prices up really high, which makes the investments really bad for them. And sometimes the investors are maniacally depressed. And then that makes it really cheap. So what we do is try to find when prices are relatively cheap to the value. And that's how you make money on the buy side. And that kind of happens in any marketplace actually um, one of the early things that i done to try to understand how markets operate a little bit clearer is uh, going for an auction uh, i've been to uh, property auctions i've been to like you know estate auctions they were selling like all kinds of weird stuff but it's interesting to see because the, the how auction works is you turn up and then you know you get a number or card or something like that and then if you want to bid you just raise your hand and and then the prices go up and up and whoever is willing to pay the highest wins the item, product, or property or whatever. And so it's always the person who's willing to pay the most able to get the product or the investment or the property, right? Which means the person who's actually willing to sacrifice the most who is able to get it. And... When I was in the back in the UK, I was watching this uh, uh, TV pro, uh, program on auctions called uh, Forums. I remember, and one of the the guys who is like a professional buyer and seller, uh, he said this one very interesting line that made it kind of crystallize the idea in my head, which is that you're actually not you know you go to auctions and you try to understand what people want, what people are buying often, and what is desirable at that point of time. And then if you go see enough, you start to understand demand and supply. And what you're trying to do then is not to try to buy something for cheap that nobody wants. 
because nobody will still want it and then it will remain cheap. What you're trying to do is to buy something that people want but for some particular reason in that auction or for some you know particular circumstance that you are able to get it cheap. And that's what makes it hard because you're trying to find a bargain. Right? So understanding markets is, is really important but also understanding how to value things is equally important. And then when you have the concept of price and value, that's when you can start to say, okay, let's go out and start to build an investment portfolio. Right? So um, in, in the local context, one thing that also helped me in understanding markets, I, I love cars, for those that know me. <laughs> right? So I also... Uh, go to SG Karmat, probably too much for my own good, right? And from there, you can start to see things as well, right? You can start to see what are the cars or what are the things that people want and are traded very often and fast and at what price and what are the cars that don't move at all. And then you start to get an understanding because on the secondhand market is when prices can transact at uh, different from the least price. If you're buying it firsthand, for example, with something like an IPO in a, in a you know, uh, if you look at it from an equities perspective, uh, the list price is fixed, right? When you go to a car dealer and you want to buy like a new car, like the list price kind of fixed. Maybe you can get a discount, maybe you can't, but the price really there. But on the secondary market, when people need to sell it, it's largely driven by demand and supply of that thing. Right in the secondary market, right it might be kind of linked to the the original list price. Definitely will still be because that's an opportunity cost of if someone wants to buy a new one, but it's still largely driven by the person who wants to sell it. You know what price is he willing to let it go at because of the amount of buyers there are in the market. So that's another interesting place to start to look at and try to understand how demand and supply comes into play in terms of price, right? So if you know the price, you can estimate the value. The key then is always the question is how do you get a bargain, right? These bargains, as I said earlier, happens when there is a mismatch between uh, price and value. The key then is to, as I said, buy the good stuff they are selling at a discount. And when these windows of opportunity happen, likely is when crisis happens, right? If you have very motivated sellers for whatever reason, maybe they overstretch themselves financially, maybe their business goes down, maybe you know they have uh, some liquidity issues, they need to you know top up their margin call on a bad investment that they made. Um, that's when you have very highly motivated sellers. And at that point of time, usually you have a lot of motivated sellers. And when you have a lot of motivated sellers together with limited buyers, guess what? That's when as a buyer, you have the power, you have the advantage. It's like waiting at a casino and just waiting and waiting. It's like blackjack counting cards, right? And you wait to a point of time where the odds favor you. Right, if you know the you know go watch uh twenty one or I can't remember what's that Hollywood movie about uh, MIT card counters, but it's a really good watch, right? When the market turns 
and then it actually favors people with liquidity and pe people who are in the buying side that's when you strike and that's where you can buy amazing amazing things at incredible prices and that's that links to what i said on uh, instagram that day which many of you guys messaged me after that's how you 10x your money now i shared the story on my previous podcast that i bought this counter msft right, at 16 dollars a pop now what's msft well that's microsoft right that's the ticker name for microsoft on on uh, the u.s stock exchange and when I bought it for $16, as I said, it was incredible because when I calculated the company, the company had, you know, you can look at all this information on their um, uh, uh, publicly available uh, disclosures, right? They have the Form 10K and which will state all the financial statement. This is true for every single public uh, company in the world. They are supposed to be public because they have to announce their financials. And at that point of time, that was obviously 2009, um, where the finance, great financial crisis hit, that company had more cash in the bank than, um, let's say, uh, the situation. Okay, let me explain it a different way. Like you, ha you have a car that's worth a hundred thousand. Now you put five hundred thousand in cash inside the car and you sell it still at a hundred thousand. Whoever owns the car gets that five hundred thousand as well. Do you think that's a bargain? Of course, right? It is crazy, right? But that's the exact situation at Microsoft at that point of time. It had more cash in the company than the total market uh, uh, capitalization of the company, which means at that price, when you buy that company, the cash inside has is worth more than the company is worth, which is like an insane scenario. Because what was going on right, th right then was a liquidity crunch and people were selling at any price they can just to raise capital. Right, and for those of you who are, who are wondering, like I, I just checked uh, before I, I did this podcast, which is the price today of uh, MSFT is uh, 133 US dollars, plus the dividend over the last 10 years is pretty much 10x my money. So I haven't sold. Well, is it gonna go up, gonna go down? I don't know, but you know, it's, it's driving me great returns on the dividend side, and I, I really can't complain for the price that I paid. But it takes a long time to build up this kind of positions and knowing when these kind of opportunities occur and having the right firepower to go for it is it, it will really dictate how successful you are at running this strategy. Right? And obviously I, I wish I bought a lot more ten years ago, but hey, you know, that's that's me uh doing what I can back then and it's very important. I, I always tell my banker and my broker is always to think of what is the correct move that you should be making today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. Right? There's there's this saying that I always fall back to, which is the best time to plant a, a seed to get a tree is twenty years ago, right? So that you can enjoy the shade today. But you didn't and it's fine. Because the second best time to plant the seed is today and as long as we keep planting those seeds they will grow and you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor right so the next topic that i, I want to touch on is that you know for us we are retail investors what advantage do we have over professional traders those who are working for banks who are staring at eight screens at the same time that kind um 
we have to understand that most of us, you and I, we have, uh, for example, day jobs or businesses to run and stuff like that. And you don't have the time or the advantage of going through vast amounts of information and real-time data or run algos or, or whatever to beat these professionals at that game. Because sometimes trading is a, is a net, uh, it's a zero-sum game as they call it. For everything that you buy, somebody's selling. So everything that you're selling, somebody's buying. So it's your opinion against theirs. So you have to understand where you have the advantage and how you're going to exploit it, right? So by being investors of our own money, for example, we actually have the luxury of time and we kind of don't have a reporting structure that we have that we need to outside investors who, doesn't, who won't quite understand our positions if they don't work out in the short run. Because professional investors, they are, they are quite... Um, binded by the fact that they have to release like monthly or quarterly reports to their investors and you know all you need is one or two quarters down and people start to question you and start withdrawing money so it's very hard for them to play strategies in the long in the long run so for me I, I think of it as running a time arbitrage right what do I mean by that it means that I am willing to hold positions for three to five years, as we said in the last podcast, because these positions, due to the length of time, the professionals can't really play at that realm. Not, I mean, some professionals do, but not, not, it's not that crowded space, which means that I'm willing to ride the volatility, but I can ride a major trend almost. And then I let the value play out. So in this case, I'm willing to accept short-term losses, knowing that I will get the long-term gain in a position. Um, it's easier said than done though, because when you play this strategy, you have to be super patient and be willing to stomach the volatility and the short-term loss. Because that's the only reason why you can be buying things on the cheap and at a discount. If, if it doesn't, if it's all good and it's all, you know, a bit of roses, it would have been reflected in the price already. So it's almost the case where there something has to be um, not so good at the moment, but solvable with time, then you engage in it. And then you let the time play out. Uh, it's difficult, a strategy, I know, uh, because... You need to know when you need to cut loss and when you need to double down. And that's the hardest part about playing this strategy. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's also about finding a style for yourself. And I think I'll touch more, a little bit more about this on the practical advice side. Uh, I would like to touch a little bit on uh, business and investing as well because these are thoughts that I have running in my head recently as well. Business on one hand, because I know a lot of my friends are business owners themselves, but they haven't really quite gotten into the game of investing. Uh, just to share a quick bit of advice on this, it's almost, I won't say completely different because you, you, know, you need to use your business acumen to know how to value things. Like you wouldn't pay 
you know, let's say you're buying and taking over a business, you won't pay a crazy price compared to what I see some of you guys doing on the, on the stock market, right? Which is basically kind of like the same thing, right? Um, so you use your business acumen to kind of value things, right? You need to know when is something worthwhile and when something is terribly overpriced. But more than that, you the big the big difference that I think someone who does both business and investing that have to master is this two very completely different on the opposite kind of spectrum mindset, which is business, you gotta be hyper aggressive, right? You guys know it. You gotta make things happen. You're 100% responsible for, for how your business runs. And so if you don't make things happen, nothing happens. Whilst on the other hand, for investments, it's like you gotta be almost very defensive and you got to be patient and you're just waiting you're waiting for the game to come to you unlike in business where you are making the the plays happen so this is the two bits that that i find myself having to switch over every now and then to think about okay i'm i'm playing the investing game right now and this is how i should behave and then the next moment when I'm in the office and I'm talking to my team and let's try to drive things to make things happen, it's got to be hyper aggressive and, and we got to really move things and make things happen. And so you cannot mix the two in a sense because if you are super laid back in your business, the business is going to go nowhere. If you're always hyper aggressive on your investing, that's just a recipe for disaster. So if anything else... Uh, you don't remember from this podcast if, if I can only share with you guys my business owner friends on, on this topic is just understand the differences between these two games and play accordingly it will save you a lot of heartache okay right so um, last bit that I want to share with you is like practical advice on how to get started for, for those guys who have yet to start anything at all right thinking about investing haven't invested a single bit uh, number one right don't sign up for online courses i don't know it's a pet peeve of mine i i keep i'm not sure why they keep targeting me must be because of the websites i visit and something like that but i get a lot of those uh 20 something year old investment gurus asking me to sign up for some you know free uh, one-off course which would then lead to I don't know a $3,000 course or something like that and then there are the other like uh, uh, traders or some secret internet marketing I don't know it's it, inter I don't know YouTube and uh, Facebook seems to be full of that these days right um, I always wonder if they are really that good at doing what they claim to be doing then why the heck are they even selling all these courses and what I'll just be enjoying myself uh, you know, uh, in, in a beach somewhere in Thailand or something like that. Um, so yeah, just take, I think you have to be aware of every, everyone that's trying to sell you something because at the end of the day, their interests might not be aligned with you. Go find practitioners and what practitioners say and do. A lot of the great stuff is available free online, right? Like as I said, some of them are in book formats, which uh, obviously you have to try to, to buy from a bookstore uh, if that's your thing. Um, but websites such as, uh, uh, I would say, like Howard Marks Memos, he really, he wrote, I don't know, since 1990s, 
all the way to today is all available online you can read every single one of them and if you do i can guarantee you you'll be like a hundred times better investor than you were starting out and that's that so that's number one right don't spend money buying those online courses that that are trying to sell you something that i'm not too sure about right just listen to the practitioners go find works from actual people who are out there in the market and and have thought about it and written about it nine times out of ten is free right um secondly sign up for a brokerage account Right, you need to have a medium for you to be able to buy and sell things if you want to be in this game, right? It, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be just a, a, a local brokerage account with some one of some of the banks down here. Um, I don't exactly know which one is the cheapest and all that. You can do a little bit of a Google, and I'm sure you find out. But just having that access to be able to go online and buy and sell. You know, it's a logistic thing. You know, you can't make any moves if you don't have access to that. So just just start start an account. It's usually free if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then there you go. You solve one big hurdle, which is you now have the ability to actually buy and sell. Uh, whether you know what to buy and sell, totally separate question. But at least you have the ability to do so. And then after you started that that brokerage account, which uh, hopefully you can get access to international markets as well. You start to ask questions like what I said about the coffee shop example. You ask yourself, am I able to buy this company at this price? And you love this company, it's publicly traded, and look into it and say, hmm, what kind of price should I be paying? And when you start to think about it, you start to ask questions like, ah, how much money is this company actually making on a year-on-year basis, right? Is it actually profitable, this company? How much am I willing to pay for these profits? Does this company have a lot of debt, for example? Because having a lot of debt, you know, for companies and for for personal uh, finance as well, means that you are uh, unstable in a sense. Because if markets change, if you have a bit of volatility in in the business uh, cycle, for example, you might not be able to last, right? So you want to find companies that will go through the good times and survive the bad times. Right, and so that you can let time play it out to your advantage. So those are the things that uh, uh, you need to start thinking about. And then I can guarantee you, your first few trades probably are terrible. Right, you might not be able to fully execute on your idea, or you might be thinking about uh, things that you missed out on. But that's part of the learning journey. So. You have to get started in order to get good. Uh, but that said, never ever make a bet that you cannot afford to lose, right? Don't bet the house on your first bet. And I said, I was really, really lucky to be starting to invest in 2009, which I mentioned before in a previous podcast, where you could have been a blind monkey throwing darts at a stock exchange and 10 times your money anyway, right? So now's not the time <laughs> in that market cycle. But at least when you start asking these questions and you start looking and you start thinking about it, you're going to learn because investing like like a lot of things is a skill set and skill sets takes time to develop. There are no shortcuts to this. There's no quick fix or whatever. I think some of you guys are still hoping for the, the silver bullet. I think the sooner you realize there are no silver bullets, the better it gets, right? So if you don't know how to read financial statements as well, just 
go to investopedia.com and they have like just huge amazing resources um, pages and even like short videos for you to watch so everything you need is already out there you just have to make the decision that you are going to learn this because this will have an exponential effect on your life 10, 20, 30 years down the road and that's the thing right and like what you're doing today is planting that seed for you to enjoy the shade 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Most people don't have that, that concept of time and that's exactly why investing for three to five years windows kind of work because of this, if you, know, if you want to be a geek about it, they call it a hyperbolic time discounting in the head, right? We apply too big a discount on time when time goes faster than we actually think and comprehend. And that gives us opportunities simply by saying, I'm willing to put in the work and effort now and knowing that I will only enjoy this, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, right? And that's, that's all there is to it. There's no secrets, there's no shortcuts. It's just being willing to put in the work, take on the risk, manage that risk, and let time play out to your advantage, right? So I think that's that's about all I have. Um, forgive me if I'm rambling or if I sound a bit nasal today because uh, I'm having a think a little bit of flu or something. I hope this has been uh, useful. Uh, I hope you know certain topics that I tried to express is clear enough. If it's not, once again, just drop me a DM, leave me some feedback, and once again, I'll try to. M- clarify anything going forward and hopefully we can get another interesting guest on board for next week's podcast all right so this is uh yongshen down here thank you very much for listening it has been great this is the third episode so i'll see you in the next episode see ya